Welcome to the Dignity of Women, where we dig deep into the vocation and dignity of women in the church, in modern times, and as an answer to the call for a new evangelization. I'm your host, Kimberly Cook. Joining me today is Father Donald Calloway. Father Don is a convert to Catholicism, a member of the Congregation of Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Before his conversion to Catholicism, he was a high school dropout who had been kicked out of a foreign country, institutionalized twice, and thrown in jail multiple times. After his radical conversion, he earned a BA in philosophy and theology from the Franciscan University of Steubenville, MDiv, and STB degrees from the Dominican House of Studies in Washington. Washington, D.C., and an STL in Mariology from the International Marian Research Institute in Dayton, Ohio. He is the author of 13 books, and his upcoming book, Consecration to St. Joseph, The Wonders of Our Spiritual Father, will be published on January 1st, 2020. It will be a 33-day program of preparation and consecration to St. Joseph. Thank you so much for joining us today, Father Don. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's a blessing. Thank you. Father Don, many converts and reverts to the faith may fear confession. Imagining the priest having a heart attack and the confessional catching fire upon hearing the penitent sins. But your past might make the penitent wonder if the fire might be started on your side of the confessional. Tell us how God has used your Pauline conversion to lead other sinners back. Yeah, well, um, I think a lot of people, when they hear that somebody is a sinner as well, especially a a guy who's a priest uh, and has a past, I think they, you know, feel that they can kind of dump everything, you know, in the confessional and it's human. You want to talk to somebody who's been there. That, of course, doesn't mean that a priest who hasn't is any less powerful or can give great insights and all of that. But, you know, a lot of people do think that, well, Father might understand, you know, he's been there. And so, um, yeah, God uses it. And I'm grateful for that. I pray that, you know, that People feel that they can maybe say things that they are very uncomfortable with. They're not going to shock me, that's for sure. And um, God's mercy is at work in that sacrament. Right. And to your great credit, I know I've said this to you, and I'll just share it as well with everybody, that my own father benefited from that after being away from confession and communion for quite a few years. He felt that you were somebody he could tell, you know, his past to or whatever, and he was willing to drive quite a distance just to go up to Steubenville when I was there and to go to confession and then turn around and drive back. I'm sure he's probably probably not the only story out there that's like that of somebody who made that trek so that they could go to confession to somebody that they felt would truly understand. So I think, you know, God uses each of us in different ways. And that's definitely something that mm. that past has really, I think, benefited in more ways than I am sure you imagined back then. Yeah. <laughs> why do you think Mary was so instrumental in your conversion? And why is she held in such high esteem by Catholics? Catholics when she is barely mentioned in scriptures. Well, I mean, for me, you know, I'm a guy, so I'm, I'm, I've got a natural attraction to the feminine mystery and, and all of its wonder. And so, you know, when I was very much involved in the things of the world, that was a big part of my brokenness in the sense of I, I used and abused that feminine mystery. But God was going to, you know, use what I was naturally drawn to 
to bring about my conversion. So when I have my conversion after, you know, so many years of living a horrible life, a very impure life, a very sinful life, I read a book on the Virgin Mary that my parents had. And it was encountering that beautiful woman of Our Lady that I didn't know anything about that brought me to Jesus because, you know, I, I started reading about this beautiful woman that I couldn't see, but these little children said that they saw and she smelled like roses. And I was like, wow, what is this? And it just fascinated me. And, and God used that to draw me to himself. And through Our Lady, I, I fell in love with Jesus Christ. I fell in love with the Catholic Church and, and with truth. And I think that that's a big part of what God is doing today. St. Catherine of Siena has a quote. She says that Mary is the bait that God uses to capture the hearts of men. Mm. And it's true. Yeah. It's I never incredible. heard that before. That's genius. Yeah, it is. And she, you know, she's a doctor of the church and she's such a great saint. So that's what he did for me. And, and I think that now too, you know, in the world that we live in, beauty is awesome. I mean, you know, the poets talk about that. It's power to make you know, your average guy a hero and turn him into a, a soldier. But if a guy doesn't use it in the right way, it can mess him up. And that's not beauty's fault. It's because, you know, he doesn't know how to properly use it and to take care of it. Well, I think today in the age when we live in so much pornography and filth, where beauty is presented in the wrong way, mm -hmm. it's interesting that we live in the age of more reported Marian apparitions than any other time in human history. Because the, the devil is trying to use beauty in the wrong way and to mess men's hearts up, and God is using it to convert our hearts. Right. Um, it's like we're hearing her voice more now than maybe even through the past history. I know a lot of people that are looking at maybe Sola Scriptura or something like that from that perspective might be saying, okay, well, why are Catholics holding Mary in such high esteem? Yes, she was the mother of Jesus, but she barely said anything during scripture and she was kind of in the background the whole time. So why are Catholics elevating mm -hmm. her so much? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, I can understand that one from one perspective, but that's to kind of treat Jesus like he's not, you know, really a man in the sense of he came into the world through a woman and he was raised by a woman. And there's certain elements, even in his role as the Messiah, that he needs that complementarity of a woman in his life. Now, that's not going to be a wife, of course, but that's where the new Eve, the mother of all the living, the Virgin Mary comes in. And it's that dynamic relationship where, you know, even he needs that beauty to have strength to keep marching towards the cross and to make that sacrifice because nobody dies for an institution. You die for beauty. You lay down your life for people. And so that's what he came to do. You know, that's a great anthropological mystery there at work. And I think that for us as Catholics, you know, we kind of work out the aspects of divine revelation that are not explicit, but they're implicit because it's logic. It's human nature. And so when you think about why we honor Mary so much, I mean, think about this, like, I'm not Jesus, I'm not the Messiah, you know, but I have a mom, and I love her very much. So if you came up to me and said, hey, Father, we got roses for your mom. Would you mind if we gave them to you? I would be a very strange son if I said, I am so offended by that. <laughs> if I said, what do you think you're doing? You know, that's horrible. Pay attention to me and me only. That would be very, very weird. 
But if you came up to me and, and said that, I would say, oh my goodness, that's wonderful. Thank you so much. That's so kind. It would move my heart to want to do things for you. If you asked me for something, you probably wouldn't even have to ask. I would be willing to give you whatever you wanted if I had it in my ability to do it. But on the other hand, if you came up to me and said, you know, Father, I'm, I'm into you. You're cool. I like hanging out with you. But I'm not digging your mom. I, I really don't <laughs> see the point. I don't, you know... I don't see why she's here at all. As a matter of fact, I'm kind of disturbed by her presence. That's not cool. You know? Yeah, as as a mother, I've often thought about it. You know, I have three sons and a daughter. And I, I think about it as if someone came to the door, you know, one of my son's friends or something, and they knocked on the door and I answered, hi, you know, little Johnny, how are you? And they just pushed past and said, where's your son? I'm not here to see you. I'm here to see your son. And just thinking like, all right, you're not to have anything to do with Johnny anymore. You know, I can't believe the way he just treated me. That yeah. I mean, that's sometimes the way that I think of it as a mom myself. Right. That whole just barging down the door and running over your mom to go see if the son is home. Yeah, that's not going to fly, you know, and it's the same thing when you think about like when the wise men came to the cave in, in Bethlehem, they didn't just barge in and rip the baby out of Mary's arms. That's called kidnapping, right? <laughs> And that's not good. So if you want Jesus, you you have to humble yourself and actually approach him through his mother. You know? Right. And she, she'll give him to you. That's the key. She's not going to hold him back. She wants you to have him, you know? Right. And I know that you have been very changed also by the rosary, the devotion to the rosary, and you've written about that at some length. What is it about the rosary that changed you once you started coming back to the faith? Oh, so many things. I don't know what I'd do without the rosary. I tell you, to me, it's a daily antidote to get the poison out and to heal me as a person. Because in the world, the world puts very impure, filthy images into your mind, especially as a guy, because we're so visual. And what I found was that all those years of putting all of those bad things into my mind was replaced when I pray the rosary with those holy images. Because when you pray the rosary, you're basically making a pilgrimage to the Holy Land in your mind, in your heart. You're going to the sacred sites associated with our Lord, with Our Lady. And it's a great way to really cleanse your mind and, and put better images in. And, you know, it's a very physical thing, too, because when you hold those beads, it's not just a mental prayer. It's also a vocal prayer and an actual praying physically. And I think that that's important because we're not angels. We need those kind of things in our hand, literally, that help us. And I know for me, that's huge. I, you know, it's rarely, rarely a day that I miss it. And there's movement within the church that is helping men heal from pornography addiction through meditating upon the image of Our Lady, particularly the one where she's nursing Jesus, because mm. it's seeing such a beautiful image of Mary, a very functional way, you know, nurturing Jesus. And I've heard testimony of the power of just taking that image to meditation and being able to reverse a lot of the negative images that had come in and the misuse of certain ideas of the body and things like that. So just even meditating upon images of Our Lady and especially in her motherhood with an infant Jesus in her arms just has such dramatic effects, like you said, upon men. It does. And it's brilliant. I mean, that's, that's a great way, I think, to, to get that poison that the world puts in out of us. And, you know, like I said, it's to pray the rosaries to make a pilgrimage. And so 
you know, a lot of people, they're like, oh, Father, I, I can't make a pilgrimage. It costs too much money or whatever. Well, that's okay. Pray the rosary every day. You're, you're making a pilgrimage, you know. Wow. And St. Joseph is called the greatest man who never spoke. Although scripture records Joseph being visited by angels and leading the Holy Family accordingly, why do you think scripture never preserved his words? Yeah, I think there's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, on one level, the saying says silence, in many instances, stronger than words. And it's by St. Joseph's actions that we see his greatness. You know, he's a man who's obedient. When he's asked or told to go to Egypt, he doesn't think about it. He does it. He immediately wakes from sleep and he and he goes. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, he's been so neglected for so long for many reasons, many times because he's been portrayed as kind of the grandfather of Jesus instead of the father. You know, he right. looks like an old man with a cane, you know, and, and people are like, wow, this is the model of manhood, you know, or sometimes, unfortunately, even in art, he's been portrayed as kind of effeminate, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's cool that he's holding a lily because that lily is his purity. But a lot of times people, they look at it and they think he looks soft or just not masculine. And I agree with him. I think we'd need better images of St. Joseph. But I think that the best thing, the greatest thing that could be said about St. Joseph is that to no other human person, to no angel, did God ever call father except St. Joseph. Mm. And that's huge. I mean, the ramifications of that are massive because, you know, Jesus came and he required human formation in his human nature. So he had to grow and develop and that took time and, and all of that. So think about it. This is how radical this is. And we've, we've so overlooked this. Jesus would have talked like St. Joseph. He would have had his accent. He would have had his mannerisms. He would have sat like him. He would have perhaps walked like him because that's what he learned. So that's huge. I mean, Jesus literally looked like Mary because of the DNA connection. You know? right. With St. Joseph, that would not have been the case. But nonetheless, I mean, he would have learned so many things from St. Joseph. I mean, basic human fundamental things like I, I do certain things. My father is now deceased, but I do certain things that he did because that's how I grew up. And that's what Jesus would have done with St. Joseph, too. I mean, that's profound. Right. You mentioned about the way that St. Joseph has been portrayed through art and how many people have this image of him in their mind. I know Mother Angelica is famous for telling it like it is and she said no old man has ever walked to Egypt and that's always what I think about when I think of Saint Joseph so explain what we do know about him after all the research that you've done obviously he's often presented as an old feeble man who may have been mm -hmm. previously married with children and of course mm -hmm. people also use that as a caveat to say well maybe it was easier for him to remain chaste in marriage to marry because maybe he already you know so his oats and lived his years and um, mm -hmm. had children. How is that wrong? Yeah, well, it takes away all of his virtue because, I mean, if his virile powers are already practically dead because he's almost dead, I mean, there's no virtue in that, you know. So that's like if we praised an old maid for basically being a virgin, but she was already old, we'd be like, well, yay, you know, <laughs> I mean, that's good, but with St. Joseph, I think the key is that, and many many saints have said this actually, like Venerable Fulton Sheen, St. Jose Maria Escrivá, Mother Angelica, like you said, and, and several others, that um, God used this man in his youth. So he probably was older than Mary, but he certainly wasn't an old man. So, you know, to have those natural, God-given attraction to the feminine and all of its wonder, and yet hold it in restraint for God's holy purposes, 
that shows his greatness because face it, I mean, he was married to the most beautiful woman, the most perfect woman, the Immaculata. I mean, think about that. What control, what blessedness he must have had at work in his soul you know, and his manhood, that's just, that's mind blowing to me. And I think that that's why we need to kind of relook at some of these things, because, you know, there were reasons that they said that he was formerly married, and he was a widow with other kids. Well, that all comes from what's called apocryphal writings. And those are not approved. Those are non canonical, they have zero status. Mm -hmm. But the reason that they said that was because they wanted to protect Mary's virginity. So they didn't want to present a St. Joseph who was young and handsome, mm. lest people think that they had other kids or had conjugal union and all those kind of things. So that's the only reason. There's zero other reason than that. So, you know, the church has defined Mary's perpetual virginity. We don't have to defend that by right. depicting St. Joseph as an old crippled man. We should actually be looking at what a lot of the saints, mystics in particular, have said, and they say that he was a young man. They actually say he was a virgin. Mm. He wasn't married before. He didn't have any kids. That's actually a very strong tradition, but people have been so hesitant to promote it, lest they try in any way think that something was happening between Mary and Joseph maritally. Well, we don't have to worry about that. We're, we're okay. Actually, the book I'm working on, I'm going to be presenting all of that stuff in it. Do you think that's why we call Joseph her most chaste spouse instead of calling him virgin? Yeah, I think so. But you know, what's funny is um, I found in my research, there actually is a pope who referred to him as a virgin. Okay. Yeah. So, and there's tons of saints. I mean, tons of saints. It's awesome. But when a pope says it, that's huge. Right. So, so I'm going to be presenting that in the book as well. Okay. So I want to talk about the book because consecration to Mary began as early as the fourth and fifth centuries and has continued to be promoted by many saints and popes, notably St. Louis de Montfort, St. Maximilian Kolbe, and St. John Paul II. Many people are confused by Marian consecration, though, wondering if it diminishes or substitutes love of God. We obviously talked about that a little bit at the beginning with talking about Mary getting in the way of Jesus. Mm. But now you are introducing something new, and that is the consecration to St. Joseph. So tell mm. us more about that and how you got into promoting this and researching this, and what do you think the effect will be on the church? I think it's going to be huge. And I think that now's the time for it because, you know, we've had consecration of Mary in some ways from the beginning because our Lord says, behold your mother, right? And St. John representing all of us is to take him into his heart and into his home. And, and by being close to her, we're really going to know Jesus. We're going to be so intimately close with him on a heart to heart level. So now in light of the attacks right now on the family, especially but also on manhood. You know, so many people are confused today with this gender ideology mm. stuff, and men don't know what it means to be a man. Women don't know what it means to be a woman. You know, they're being told they can use whatever bathroom they want to use and all this crazy stuff. And so right now, we need to get back to the basics, to the fundamentals, and therefore, we need to get back to the head of the Holy Family, St. Joseph. 
Mary's the heart, you know, a woman is always the heart of the home, but we, if we're going to really understand this thing and restore order, we've got to acknowledge the head of the family, and we've got to see what his role is, what his importance is, what he should be doing, what he shouldn't be doing, those kind of things. And that's why consecration to St. Joseph brings our baptismal consecration to Jesus and our devotional consecration to Mary to its completion, because we'll be consecrated to the Holy Family. And so that's why I think right now it's really important for the Church to take a deeper look at these issues and to bring in St. Joseph, because he's the patron of the Universal Church, he's the head of the Holy Family, he's our spiritual father, and he's the terror of demons. Hmm. So, you know, the devil hates fatherhood. He hates motherhood, that's why he hates Our Lady especially, but he also hates fatherhood. And so if we get this right, I think we're going to have a renewed society, renewed families, renewed church, renewed diocese, because this applies also to bishops and priests. Because as we know, today there's a lot of scandal in, in, in the clergy, and there's a lot of jacked upness going on with my brother priest. And we need St. Joseph too, because he'll teach us how to treat the mystery that we are called to be guardians of. I think it's huge. Right. That's what I was going to ask. How is a priest like St. Joseph? Because I think a lot of times we do think of St. Joseph as that father figure of Jesus. And like you said, he does kind of get the shaft as far as being stuffed in a corner in a lot of Mm -hmm. ways. And, you know, you don't even think much about him. It seems like people turn to St. Joseph at two times when they're trying to sell their house and then (laughs) when they are facing death because he's the patron of happy death. Other than that, he really doesn't get thought of very much. And I know sometimes when people do grow closer to Mary and they start to enter into praying the rosary regularly or embracing a Marian consecration, they suddenly feel automatically like, what about St. Joseph? It really is natural. And I know that kind of happened to me when I did a Marian consecration. I had never really thought about St. Joseph at all. But as I drew closer to Our Lady, I suddenly felt like, well, what about Joseph? I think that that's something that goes hand in hand. He's in, like you said, in communion with the family, the Holy Family. And you feel like, well, isn't someone being left out here? And it's the father figure. And I think it is so important, like you pointed out. It's so frustrating if you watch any TV or movies or anything else like that today every single sitcom every single movie the father is a complete buffoon you know i mean it's always like he's just this big fat bumbling idiot and the mom always kind of has to put him in check take over push him out of the way and he's just there watching tv in his underwear or something you know it's just so (laughs) infuriating because you can't watch one single show where there's really a father figure a real manly father figure People are dying to have a male role model, a positive male role model, not this old grandpa who's barely keeping up with the donkey, but this really strong father figure who's chaste, pure, who's Mm -hmm. young and able. What you're saying is going to have, like you said, huge ramifications and a great effect on the church and hopefully on the priesthood and on manhood and everything else. So you said this consecration will be coming out in 2020. What will it entail? It's 33 days. What can people expect in those 33 days? 
Yeah, it's going to follow that traditional formula of St. Louis de Montfort's Marian Consecration. And you're basically going to learn all about St. Joseph's titles, his virtues, his wonders, like the apparitions that he's appeared in, because a lot of people don't know about those. Um, That was actually one of the questions we got when we said that you were the next guest on the podcast. One of the questions was, why hasn't St. Joseph appeared in many apparitions? And I said, you know, I really don't know. That is a good question. (laughs) Yeah, well, I think probably part of the reason is because it took the church a very long time to kind of get a theology of St. Joseph Mm -hmm. um, because he was so neglected. People kind of, I guess, wouldn't have been prepared for it. But it's interesting that within the last 150 years in particular, he actually is showing up more and more. So like with Our Lady of Knock, for example, he was there at uh, Fatima, you know, at the last apparition in Fatima on October 13th, 1917, he was there. Really? Yeah, yeah. And he was blessing the world with our Lord simultaneously. There's huge implications or ramifications in in what that means. And then also in Egypt, in uh, I think it was 1978, I think it was, in Zaytun, Egypt, um, the Holy Family appeared on top of a Coptic church. And so many people saw it for hours that it was recognized by everybody in the Coptic church there, they approved it. And a lot of people were like, why did that happen? Well, in Egypt, they knew why, because that is traditionally one of the places that the Holy Family stopped at when they went there. So, you know, 2000 years ago when they were fleeing from Herod. And then also in, in more recent times, Our Lady of America, you know, which is hasn't received approval yet, but it's not condemned or anything. And Cardinal Burke supports it. St. Joseph appeared to Sister Mary Ephraim and spoke to her about profound stuff. So, I mean, it's it's incredible. And there's currently a few alleged, and I have to emphasize that, alleged apparitions of St. Joseph happening in Brazil. Hmm. So something's going on here. And so... um, we really need to take this more seriously because I don't think we're going to get order restored in the church or in the family or in society until we get fatherhood right, because he's the head, you know, and this is people are so you're like, oh, everybody's politically correct. Nobody wants to talk about it. And I'm like, look, we're not talking about, you know, men having all the authority and making all the decisions. We're talking about rightly ordered stuff, mm-hmm. the complementarity of the masculine, the feminine of husband and wife and all of that. But if we keep dancing around this issue, we're never going to restore order. We've got to recognize the importance of fatherhood. And that's why, like, for example, studies have actually been shown that if it's only the mother who prays in the in the home and she's the one that drags everybody else to church, once those kids leave the home, studies have shown this. The chances are radically reduced that they're going to continue. Right. I but think it's, it's 2% the- or something if it's just the yeah. mother. It's 2%, yeah. and I think it's like 98% for the father. It's really, it's, really right. radical. So if the father steps up and realizes his role and the impact that he can make, we'll get things right. And that's why I say this even has an influence or an, a meaning for priests and bishops, because, you know, they're called to imitate St. Joseph, too, and their sacrificial love and their commitment and their willingness to, you know, fight off the wolves for beauty and for the spiritual children entrusted to them. And so it'll be 33 days. You'll learn all about those things. 
it can be done by individuals, families, parishes, all of that. And it comes out January 1st, 2020. Okay. And what is, as a final piece of wisdom and advice from all of this knowledge that you've gleaned from investing so much time with St. Joseph recently and studying about him and asking his prayers and intercession, what message do you have to fathers or young men who are striving against the culture? to embrace that Josephine spirit, that good, holy, chaste, man-like spirit that, like you said, is in right order and upholding Mm -hmm. beauty and virtue. What advice would you have for those men? I would say, I think most men know this innately. It's just that we live in a culture that's that's trying to strip it away from us. And I would say that all of us were made for this. I mean, we were born to be chivalrous. We were born to be protectors and defenders. And when we don't do that, we know something's not right. We know that we've been stripped of something. And I'd encourage my brothers to reclaim that, to want to be that hero. You were born to be a hero, brothers, and and that's what we're called to be. And I think that when we we look into St. Joseph, we look into our Lord, you know, even more than St. Joseph. I mean, our Lord is the ultimate man, you know, and and so we look into the saints, you know, we find that and, and we should want to be like that. We should desire to imitate that that heroism, the virtues, the the goodness, strong, masculine identity, and at the same time, using that strength for the protection of the innocent, for the protection and preservation of beauty and and, and things that we hold sacred, you know, marriage and, and little babies in the womb. If we're true men, we will stand up and we will fight these, you know, demons that are attacking our house. That's what it means to be a man. And I think every man intrinsically knows that. They just need a battle cry to call them to arms and to call them to fight off these dragons who are breathing fire and trying to destroy us. Amen. Well, how can we find you, Father Donald? How can we find you or stay in touch with what's going on while this book is preparing to be released? Yeah. So right now I started a Facebook blog where I post something every day until the book comes out. So it's just simply Consecration to St. Joseph with Father Calloway. That's the Facebook blog, Consecration to St. Joseph with Father Calloway. And then on my website, when it comes out, that's where you'll be able to purchase it. You'll be able to get it everywhere. I mean, everybody's going to be selling it. But the website is fathercalloway.com. My guest tonight has been Father Donald Calloway. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. God bless you. No power.